Does your office have a diagnosis system? Is it something you should consider? You are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and joining me today is Dr. Joseph Brito. Dr. Brito trained as a pediatrician and is now the chief executive officer and co-founder of Isabel Healthcare. He has published more than 50 peer-reviewed papers and lectured extensively about pediatric critical care, life-threatening infections, diagnosis errors, and diagnosis decision support. Dr. Brito, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Thank you very much for that very generous introduction. Joseph, tell me a little bit about what diagnosis decision support is and who's Isabel? Isabel's a little girl. In 1999, she presented with chickenpox, but she had developed necrotizing fasciitis, which sadly wasn't recognized. She was misdiagnosed. And she ended up on the intensive care unit. And the parents of the child, rather than getting angry and litigious and suing, said, why don't we do something about this? So when she went home at the end of 1999, after seven weeks on the intensive care unit, the father, my co-founder, Jason Moore, and I got together, and we started building and working on the Isabel system. So Isabel is a diagnosis reminder system. It's a diagnosis decision support system, but it's also a knowledge mobilizing system. To put it briefly, if you put into Isabel, for example, loss of consciousness, photophobia, seizures, and uh, hyponatremia, in natural language and free text, just as you would into Google, just as you would in your case notes, enter that into Isabel, hit the suggest diagnosis button, and it will give you a reasonable, relevant list of likely diagnoses for you to consider. Have you thought of herpes simplex encephalitis, mycoplasma encephalitis, bacterial meningitis, SIADH, or, or an intracranial tumor? It will give you, as the expert, as the learned intermediary at the point of care, it will give you a list of likely diagnoses for you to consider. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. No, not in this patient, not this diagnosis. Maybe I should investigate that. Maybe I should, should start treating for this. If you click on a diagnosis, it'll mobilize knowledge from textbooks and journals. How do you investigate this? How do you treat this condition? What are the mistakes that have been reported in the journal for this condition? What are the recent advances for this condition? Joseph, who's using it currently? We have over 20 high-profile institutions, users across the country. So, for example, WashU in St. Louis, we have two or three of their institutions there. There's Yale, the University of Virginia, Loma Linda, for example. And it's very interesting, Larry, different clients use it for different reasons. The academic tertiary centers use it because they find it a very good problem-based tool. It challenges residents and faculty into thinking of diagnosis and and constructing a complete differential diagnosis, something we're all trained to do in medical school. And Isabel will help you do that consistently, and it'll help fix what Colleagues like Mark Graeber, uh, an internist at the VA, chief of medical service in Northport, refers to as it'll help fix premature closure, failure to consider reasonable alternatives. Other clients use Isabel as a risk management tool to help minimize or mitigate diagnosis error, you know, to help them make a diagnosis more quickly, for example, and improve patient safety and quality of care. Joseph, who's measuring misdiagnosis errors? Is that something that's done once the patient has died, or is there somebody looking into this? You know, Larry, that's actually a great question, simply because we're not doing enough of it. If I asked you, Larry, I said to you, Larry, what's your golf handicap? You'll probably tell me. But if I said to you, Larry, how good a diagnostician are you? Out of the last 100 cases you've seen, in how many of them could you have made the diagnosis a little earlier? In how many did you miss? And we all have those cases. I have etched in my mind the cases in which I didn't make a diagnosis quickly, or I didn't make a diagnosis at all, and the patient suffered from morbidity. So... We don't measure diagnosis as we should, but it's changing. It's now climbing up, if you like, on the patient safety radar screen. 
Increasingly, people like Gordon Schiff, in a study funded by the Agency for Healthcare Research Quality up at Cook County, did a meta-analysis that showed that 10 to 30 percent of medical error is diagnosis error. As if you look at close claims, meaning money that was paid out, much more money is paid out for diagnosis error than for prescription error, for obvious reasons. You know, prescription errors are errors of commission. We write the wrong dose, the wrong drug, or drug A interacts with drug B. And they tend not to have that kind of same kind of consequences, human and financial consequences, are diagnosis error. Diagnosis is crucial. It predicates the tests we order. It predicates the investigations. It predicates the treatment. It's very important, therefore, and I state the obvious to a colleague, it's very, very important to get the diagnosis right. We are now beginning to look at the quality of diagnosis decision-making. And hopefully in time, each of us as individuals and institutions will be asked to measure how good is your institution. In the last 10 cases of, say, Kawasaki's disease or aortic heart syndrome or dissecting aneurysm, what is your median time to diagnosis? You know, we are getting into pay for performance. And so I think if an insurance company is requiring that, then the insurance company should be paying for Isabel, don't you think? Well, we do have clients. You know, I mentioned one set of clients. The other set of clients are clients in family practice who use Isabel as a standalone system or interfaced with their electronic medical records. So, for example, when you use Isabel as a standalone web-based system, you've got to type in abdominal pain, hematuria, arthritis in a 30-year-old female. You talked about paperless records. If you interface it with electronic medical records, you don't have to type this data in. We're able to extract the age, the gender, the chief complaints, the pertinent positives from the HPI and the review of systems. So the use of Isabel becomes a single-click process. It's sitting there on your dashboard like a GPS system that's incorporated into your dashboard. It sits there 24-7, 365, and should you want to pay attention, should you need diagnosis decision support, a single click, it would give it to you. And insurance companies similarly, for example, are telling there is an insurance company who has 3,000 ER doctors on their roll, and they're saying to them, we will make Isabel available to you at a very subsidized cost for a couple of hundred dollars a year. Here's Isabel available to you. And if you use Isabel, you can track every query you file using the My Account section, My Isabel Activity, and you can capture all of that and demonstrate diligence and also capture it for CME accreditation. These insurance companies are saying, if you're seen to use Isabel after a year, much like an advanced driving course, if you're seen to use Isabel, we will give you next year, if your premium is 50000 a year, mm-hmm. we'll give you a 10% discount. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking to Joseph Brito, pediatrician and chief executive officer and co-founder of Isabel Healthcare. Joseph, you talked about integrating Isabel into EMRs. I have a system called Athena Health as my EMR. I know they don't have Isabel yet, so I'm wondering which EMRs you're already kind of hooked up with. We signed agreements with large hospital-based systems like uh, Cerner and Mysis. We have, with family care and ambulatory care, we have developed very slick, neat interfaces with NextGen and A4 Allscripts, and we're in advanced discussions with many, many others. And you know, Larry, as a physician, as a colleague, that's the way forward. If we want to decrease the threshold for our colleagues to use diagnosis decision support systems, we need to make it easier to use. Why not make their life easier by, instead of typing in stuff, You know, the technology is there. The technology is almost invariably the easy part. The technology exists for us to pull the age, the gender, the chief complaints, the reasons for visit, if you like. Whatever the clinician wants to send across is sent across to web-based Isabel. It will make your decision to use decision support system much easier. You won't have to think twice about using it. It's going to impinge on the workflow 
much less. When you're using your EMR and it basically kind of uh, takes the words that you've put into your EMR and does the work for you, does it pop up automatically or if you want, you can click something and it'll say, okay, here. You click on the I button, I for Isabel, I for, you know, or a differential diagnosis button or your info button. So in a sense, it's not the irritating you and telling you this is, you know, think of this, think of this. It's there for you to use, if you like, on an intention to use basis. So in those cases where you felt this patient has come in with loss of weight, change in bowel habits, and rectal bleeding. What am I dealing with here? In those cases, click the I for Isabel, I for Info, the differential diagnosis button on your EMR, and a browser window will pop up instantly from web-based Isabel and say to you, Larry, have you considered, you know, carcinoma of the colon? I think it's brilliant because for advanced practitioners that don't have the experience or the, you know, you used the term earlier, the pattern recognition, you know, they're out somewhere and the doctor's not around and they see these symptoms and they push the I button and they come up with brilliant differential diagnoses. What about residents? Is it making them less savvy because now they have this new tool? They don't have to think anymore. They can impress their attendings with these elaborate differential diagnoses that Isabel gave them. I mean, it helps the patient. You know, Larry, residents by definition, are digital natives. You know, I'm a digital migrant. I grew up pulling down books from my shelf, but I now use digital resources. I grew up with paper and pencil, but now spend more of my time, much, much more of my time, using the keyboards of my laptop. So residents actually are very familiar. And interestingly, on this journey, that's, you know, I've been on this journey since 99, 2000. On this journey, I find that for the residents, it's a no-brainer. It's for the crusty senior attending physician or professor who's been called upon now to change behavior. The residents think it's a no-brainer, and residents love Isabel because what it allows them to do is they love resources like UpToDate, and increasingly they're using systems like UpToDate and Wikipedia, and they tell me, go use Google for healthcare professionals. And all these systems are incredibly useful if you know the diagnosis. Patients don't present to us with a diagnosis on their forehead. They present to us with clinical features, you know, fever, anemia, splenomegaly, and splinter hemorrhages. What am I dealing with here? Put those into Wikipedia or Google or UpToDate. You're not going to get a very useful result, but put infective endocarditis. And all these resources become very useful. So Isabel is useful to residents as a sort of helping them convert clinical features to diseases. But also, as Steve Burowitz, who's a pediatric gastroenterologist at UVA, said to me when they first started using Isabel about two years ago down there, they said to me, Steve said to me that one of his residents came back and said to him, it feels like I'm cheating. But, you know, they felt that this is something they should be doing on their own. We're expecting our residents, we're expecting our colleagues to carry around the clinical features of, you know, over 10,000 diseases in their mind. Technology is now available to alleviate that burden and allow you, for the residents, challenge you and say, why can't it be this? So it's problem-based learning at its best. You put in photophobia, fever, neck stiffness, and you only thought of bacterial meningitis. It's challenging you now and saying, have you thought of herpes simplex? Why can't this be... Uh, mycoplasma encephalitis? Why can't this be ADAM? Why can't this be an intracranial bleed? And then providing you the knowledge to help make it. So there's a huge educational component in the system. Joseph, who's your competition out there? Is anybody else doing something similar? You know, Larry, it's a very pompous thing to say, but when it comes to the diagnosis reminder system, there isn't. Having said that, very quickly, let me say that since the mid-80s, there have been you know, what we refer to as first-generation systems like de-explain, QMR, Iliad, which were built by very ingenious, hardworking physicians. And, but those systems were rules-based. So, for example, if you think of it like an Excel spreadsheet, they linked cough on one side with bronchitis and cough with expectoration with, say, bronchiectasis and cough with 
blood in sputum was linked to pulmonary hemosiderosis. And cough with frank blood in it, hemoptysis, was linked to, say, mitral stenosis or pulmonary tuberculosis. And each of these vectors linking a clinical feature to a disease was given an evoking strain. As a result, Larry, when it came to us using systems like this, they took time to use because you'd have to answer a series of questions. Is it cough with this? Is it cough with that? Systems, if they're going to be used, they have to be fast and easy to use, and they have to be able to use natural language. You do not want people answering a series of questions. Dr. Joseph Brito, thanks for coming on the show. Larry, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to every physician in the world using the Isabel system so that we can prevent misdiagnosis, early closure, and save some more lives. Thanks a lot, Larry. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.